Welcome to the Royal Phillips First Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call on Monday, April 26, 2021. During the call, hosted by Mr. Vans Van Houten, CEO, and Mr. Abhijit Bhattacharya, CFO, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. After the introduction, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. If any participant has difficulty hearing the conference at any time, please press the star followed by the zero on your telephone for operator assistance. Please note that this call will be recorded and a replay will be available on the Investor Relations website of Royal Phillips. I will now hand the conference over to Mr. Leandro Mazzoni, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Good morning and welcome to Philip's first quarter 2021 results conference call. Joining me today are our CEO, Franzen Houghton, and our CFO, Abhijit Bhattacharya. Franzen Abhijit will take you through our strategic and financial highlights for the period, and after that, we will take your questions. Our press release and the related information slide deck were published at 7 a.m. CET this morning. Both are available on our investor relations website. A full transcript of this call will also be made available today on the website. Before we start, I would like to remind you of a few things. As mentioned in the press release, adjusted EBITDA is defined as income from operations excluding amortization of acquired intangible assets, impairment of goodwill and other intangible assets, restructuring charges, acquisition-related costs, and significant one-off items. Comparable growth for sales and orders are adjusted for currency and portfolio changes. As of this quarter, the domestic appliances business is reported as discontinued operations. Sales and results from this business are no longer included in the results of continuing operations, and relevant assets and liabilities are reported under assets and liabilities held for sale. The restated statements of income for 2019 and 2020 reflecting these changes are available on our investor relations website. Finally, all forward-looking projections exclude the domestic appliances business. Over to you, Franz. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I hope that you and your families are keeping uh, safe and well. The COVID-19 pandemic is far from over, and our teams remain focused on delivering against our triple duty of care, meeting customer needs, safeguarding the health and safety of our employees, and ensuring business continuity. Despite the ongoing impact of COVID-19, our performance gained momentum with a strong 9% comparable sales growth and an adjusted EBITDA margin increase of almost 400 basis points in the first quarter. Diagnosis and treatment sales grew 9%, our connected care businesses delivered 7% comparable sales increase, and sales for personal health grew a very strong 17%. We are also encouraged by the strong 11% comparable order intake growth for the diagnosis and treatment businesses, with all major markets contributing, driven by the sequential improvement of electives and hospital CAPEX and the very positive customer response to our innovative products and solutions. Comparable order intake for the connected care businesses decreased, as anticipated, following the exceptional growth in Q1 2020, driven by the demand for hospital ventilators and patient monitors. Looking ahead, while we continue to see uncertainty related to the impact of COVID, we see increased demand in the diagnosis and treatment and personal health businesses. We are raising our growth guidance, 
Given this momentum, and we now plan to deliver low to mid-single-digit comparable sales growth in 2021 compared to our earlier plan of low single-digit growth, still with an adjusted EBITDA margin improvement of 60 to 80 basis points. I would like to provide some color on some of our initiatives to respond to the needs of today's hospital leaders across the globe as they plan for the future. In the quarter, we expanded our range of remote patient management solutions with the launch of the medical tablet, a portable monitoring kit designed to help clinicians remotely monitor large patient populations during emergency situations. This new offering, which is available in North America, Europe, and Japan, provides remote access to patient data to improve workflows and better manage increased patient volumes. Highlighting our strengths in smart diagnostic systems, we expanded the incisive computer tomography platform with the launch of Precise Suite, an AI-enabled solution that delivers smart radiology workflows from Im image acquisition to reporting with AI-enabled image reconstruction, automated patient positioning, motion-free cardiac image capture, and real-time interventional guidance to drive precision in dose, speed, and image quality. Precise Suite is the latest enhancement of the incisive CT platform, which already includes a newly designed patient table that accommodates bariatric patients, the tube for life guarantee, Philips Performance Bridge Process Improvement Services, and our DoseWise Portal Radiation Exposure Tracking Solution. All of this makes the incisive CT unique in the industry. We also further strengthened the image guided therapy portfolio with our smart CT application for Azurion, which provides interventionists with CT-like 3D images to enhance procedural outcomes and, and it fits seamlessly into the existing workflows. And our Clarify Augmented Reality Surgical Navigation, an industry-first solution to advance minimally invasive spine operations uh, in the hybrid operating room. Very important, we continue to drive market share in our core businesses through deeper, more comprehensive customer partnerships. During the first quarter, we signed several new long-term strategic partnerships with hospitals in the United States, Europe, and Asia, helping them achieve their clinical and operational goals. For example, we signed a five-year agreement with the Spanish group VITAS to provide diagnostic imaging systems combined with advanced informatics and image guided therapy solutions to enhance patient care. The agreement also includes collaboration in technological innovation projects and joint scientific research. In personal health, we continue to invest in innovation and new product introductions. In the first quarter, we introduced the Lumea IPL 9000 series with SenseIQ technology for personalized hair removal, which is available through a try and buy subscription model in several countries. We also produced a 100 millionth one blade blade just five years after OneBlade's original launch. The Philips OneBlade has disrupted shaving markets worldwide, creating a new category for shaving, trimming, and edging. In line with our plans, we signed an agreement to sell the domestic appliances business to global investment firm Hillhouse Capital for a total deal value of 4.4 billion euro. This comprises of an enterprise value of around 3.7 billion, 
and an exclusive brand license agreement with an estimated net present value of around $0.7 billion for the first 15-year period. We expect to receive cash proceeds after tax and transaction-related cost of €3 billion Euro in the third quarter. We are very pleased that we have found a good home for this business and the transaction is expected to be completed in the third quarter, subject to the customary conditions. In Q1, we also took important steps in our strategy to strengthen our leadership in connected care solutions with the completion of the acquisitions of biotelemetry and capsule technologies. The combination of our leading patient monitoring solution position in the hospital with biotelemetry's leading cardiac diagnostics and monitoring services outside of the hospital make us a global leader in patient care management solutions with potential for further expansion. And with Capsule, we have a unique medical device information platform that connects almost all medical devices and EMRs in hospitals through a vendor-neutral system that transforms streaming clinical data into actionable information. These acquisitions will further broaden, enrich, and scale Philips patient care management solution, as well as monitoring and software as a service offering. Biotelemetry and Capsule will be accretive to sales growth and adjusted EBITDA margin in 2021 and will be reported within our connected care informatics business in the connected care segment. On regulatory matters, regretfully, we have identified possible risks related to the sound abatement foam used in certain sleep and respiratory care devices currently in use and this is primarily related to the first-generation DreamStation product family. We are in the process of engaging with the relevant regulatory agencies regarding this matter and initiating appropriate actions to mitigate these possible risks. Given the estimated scope of the intended precautionary actions on the installed base, we have taken a provision of 250 million euro. I would like to flag that our latest CPAP platform, the DreamStation 2, is not affected as it is of a different design. Let me now update you on some changes in our management team. Earlier this quarter, we announced that Rob Cachella, currently strategic business development leader and formerly in charge of our diagnosis and treatment segment, stepped down from the executive committee, effective from April 1. This in relation to his planned retirement from the company by the end of this year. Rob will continue to play a role in certain strategic business development projects on a, on a part-time basis until the end of 2021. We also announced that Chaz Partovi joined Philips Executive Committee, effective from March 22nd to succeed Jeroen Tass as Chief Innovation and Strategy Officer, effective from July 1. Chaz brings deep healthcare and informatics experience to Philips and most recently served as the global head of business development for healthcare, life sciences and medical devices at Amazon Web Services. In that role, he was responsible for the business go-to-market strategy, charting the path for customer cloud transformation and the adoption of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Jeroen Tass, who joined Philips in 2011, and became Chief Innovation Strategy Officer in 2017, has made a personal decision to assume a part-time 
position within Philips and will focus on the continuation of several strategic business development projects until the end of 2022. I want to thank Jeroen and Rob very much for their val very valuable contributions to the transformation of Philips. Jeroen played a very important role in inspiring and executing our innovation strategy for digital health and healthcare informatics, while Rob has successfully shaped our diagnosis and treatment segment over the last several years, including the addition of IGT devices to our portfolio. To round off, let me reiterate that I am pleased with the progress that we are making on our strategic and performance roadmap. Our journey to health technology leadership continues, and we have a clear strategy to help transform care along the health continuum, combining smart systems, devices, informatics, data, and services. And I am convinced that the growth and margin profile of Philips remains very well underpinned. And with that, I'll turn the call to Abhijit. Thank you, Franz, and thank you all for joining us today. I hope you and your families are well and safe. Let me start by providing some color on the first quarter comparable sales of 9%. I'd like to remind you that this comparable sales growth does not include the double-digit growth of our recently acquired companies, Biotelemetry and Capsule Technologies. Our diagnosis and treatment businesses' comparable sales growth grew 9% in the quarter. Diagnostic imaging sales grew double-digit, driven by strong installations of computed tomography and magnetic resonance. Ultrasound and enterprise diagnostic informatics sales grew high single-digit. Image-guided therapy sales saw solid sequential improvement and grew mid-single-digit in the quarter, mainly driven by strong traction of our devices business as we saw good return to growth at the end of the quarter, especially in the United States. The volume of elective procedures gradually improved during the first quarter, with March tracking above pre-COVID levels. We expect that elective procedures volumes to continue to gradually increase in the course of the year as hospitals normalize their operations and also work through the backlog of patients. The sales of the connected care business grew 7% in the first quarter, driven by double-digit growth in patient monitoring as we continue to successfully convert the strong order book into sales. This was partly offset by a mid-single-digit decline in sleep and respiratory care on the back of a strong Q1 last year driven by COVID-19 demand. We were also pleased to see the recovery in our emergency care business with another quarter of double-digit growth. This business was formerly called therapeutic care. For personal health, we saw strong demand in the quarter with a comparable sales increase of 17%. Personal care grew strong double-digit and oral health care comparable sales increased by mid-single digit. We saw solid sequential improvement in personal health in China with double-digit comparable sales growth in the quarter, driven by new product introductions across the portfolio and continued momentum in North America and Europe. Consumer sales through digital channels grew double-digit in Q1 and represented 43% of total sales for personal health. Our shift to digital 
and the adoption of new business models of direct-to-consumer resonate very well. Important to note that our online market share is higher than in the traditional offline channels. Moving on to orders, I'm pleased to share that the diagnosis and treatment business comparable order intake grew double digits in Q1, driven by strong double digit growth in image guided therapy and solid performance in diagnostic imaging and ultrasound. This is due to improving market conditions as well as the strong competitive momentum of our innovative portfolio. As a result, we saw a further increase of the order book in these businesses in the quarter. Comparable order intake in connected care declined 27% as anticipated on the back of 80% growth in Q1 2020 driven by the spike in COVID-19 generated demand last year. While we continue to expect demand for ventilators and patient monitors to normalize during the course of 2021, activity levels are expected to remain higher than in 2019 in these businesses. Also important, we continue to experience positive competitive momentum, notably of our innovative monitoring solutions. Let me now turn to the profitability development in the first quarter. Adjusted EBITDA for the group increased by 390 basis points to 362 million euros, which is 9.5% of sales. In diagnosis and treatment, the adjusted EBITDA increased 230 basis points to 8.7% of sales. Connected Care delivered an adjusted EBITDA margin of 12.8% of sales compared to 9.8% in the first quarter of 2020. In personal health, adjusted EBITDA was 14.3%, up from 7.3% last year. The improvement across our business segments was mainly driven by sales growth and results of our productivity programs. At the same time, we continue to execute on the planned higher investments in advertising in personal health. Adjusted EBITDA for the group was also impacted by positive currency impacts of 40 basis points in the first quarter. We continue to focus on driving productivity and are executing initiatives that will deliver cumulative net savings of 2 billion euros by 2025. These initiatives delivered 97 million euros savings in the first quarter. More specifically, 44 million euros through procurement programs, 33 million supply chain productivity, and 20 million overhead cost reduction. Restructuring, acquisition-related, and other charges include a 41 million euro gain due to the release of a contingent consideration liability related to EPD. Revisions to the financial forecast due to the maturity of the technology resulted in a decrease in the fair value of the respective contingent consideration liability. At the same time, we recognized an impairment loss of 55 million euros in amortization of acquired intangible. The net impact, therefore, of the impairment is 14 million euros. Other charges also include the 250 million euro provision related to the intended precautionary quality actions that Franz mentioned before, 
This amount is our best estimate at this point in time. Financial income and expenses were an expense of 6 million euros compared to 19 million in Q1 2020. This decrease is mainly due to the increase in value of our minority participations. Net income was in line with Q1 2020 with higher earnings and an increase in net income from discontinued operations offset by the provision related to quality. The adjusted diluted EPS from continuing operations doubled from 14 euro cents in Q1 2020 to 28 euro cents in Q1 2021. Free cash flow was an inflow of 169 million compared to a 15 million outflow in Q1 2020 due to strong working capital performance and lower capital expenditures. Let me provide some guidance for certain areas of our business. In the segment other, we continue to expect an adjusted EBITDA loss of around 120 million and an EBITDA loss of around 240 million for the full year 2021. This includes 80 to 100 million of costs related to the separation of domestic appliances in 2021. For Q2, we expect a net cost of around 35 million euro at the adjusted EBITDA level and around 70 million at the EBITDA level. In line with our previous guidance, restructuring charges are expected to be 70 to 80 basis points. Acquisition-related costs are expected to be around 70 basis points in 2021. This is lower than our prior guidance of 100 basis points due to the positive one-off impact from the release of the contingent consideration liability for our EPD business that I had explained earlier. We continue to expect one-time EU MDR and consent decree costs, related costs of around 40 million euros in the year. Financial income and expenses are expected to be a net cost of around 140 million euros in 2021. This is lower than our prior guidance of 180 million, largely due to the increase in the value of our minority participations in the first quarter and assumes no one-off gains or losses in the rest of the year. Our mid-term guidance of 24 to 26 effective, uh, 24 to 26% effective tax rate, excluding incidentals, remains valid, while for 2021, we currently expect that to be around 22% due to one-off effects. On the topic of share buybacks, I would like to remind you that our 1.5 billion euro program for capital reduction purposes that was announced in January 2019 will be completed during the course of 2021. To conclude, let me reiterate what we stated at the start of the year. Given the comparison base of 2020, we expect overall relative performance to be stronger in the first half of 2021 as has been confirmed by the Q1 performance. Further, as mentioned by France, we see an increased demand in the diagnosis and treatment and personal health businesses and now plan to deliver low to mid single digit comparable sales growth for the group in 2021 compared to the earlier plan of low single digit growth. We continue to expect a decline of connected care sales 
in the high single to low double digit range as previously guided. We also expect an adjusted EBITDA margin improvement of 60 to 80 basis points for the group. With that, I'm happy to take your questions along with France. Thank you. Thank you, sir. If any participants would like to ask a question, please press the star followed by the one on your telephone. If you wish to cancel this request, please press the star followed by the two. Please limit yourselves to one question with a maximum of one follow-up. This will give more people the opportunity to ask questions. If you're using a speaker equipment today, please lift the handset before making your selections. There will be a short pause while participants register for a question. The first question comes from Veronica Dubajova from Goldman Sachs. Please state your question. Um, hi, good morning, Franz Abhijit, um, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, two, please, and, and both related to the guidance for the full year. First one is just on revenues and, and trying to parse out where that incremental confidence is coming from in terms of the, the low to mid single digit organic sales growth versus versus what you had guided for previously. C can you maybe talk through what are some of the moving parts where you've become incrementally more confident? Is it pH? Is it DNT? Is it a specific region? Is it a specific business line. If you can just shed some light into that, that would be um, really helpful. And, and then my second question, I appreciate you don't guide for EPS, but obviously this year there's quite a lot of moving, moving parts. We have the dilution from domestic appliances, from the disposal, you have some contribution coming in from acquisitions. And just curious if you can level set for us, Abhijit, how we should think about EPS development in 21. And I guess looking beyond 2021, if you can comment on some of your midterm expectations on EPS growth and, and how we should level set those off the new base, that would be very helpful. Thanks, guys. Yeah, hi, Veronica. Great to, to hear you. And uh, I, I sympathize with your question on, on EPS. Uh, Abhijit will uh, uh, try to answer it as best as we can, given uh, the circumstances. Um, but indeed, um, let, let me start on the, um, on the revenue traction. Uh, very, so if I take you back to the Capital Markets Day guidance, right, where we said um, D&T um, and personal health should grow in the 5 to 6% bracket, while connected care, given the difficult compare, will first have a year of a negative and then in 2022 also be in that frame, okay? So that's the framing of it. Now, obviously, um, as we said in the call, connected care stays with the same guidance right, of approximately high single digit, low double digit uh, decline year on year, uh, which then implies that all the upside comes from diagnosis and treatment and personal health both of which will grow ahead of the 5 to 6% range this year. And we see strong order momentum in diagnosis and treatment, right, with uh, uh, the, the order growth of 11%. Uh, the 11% order growth in Q1 is driven across the world, basically. Um, China, high single digit, uh, in North America, uh, double-digit growth in orders, I think very pleasing and perhaps also a precursor of what uh, can happen when COVID becomes more under control and Europe, you know, a very solid uh, around 6% uh, uh, order growth, right? So, uh, and, and much driven by IGT, right, which of course was weak last year, uh, customers holding 
back on orders, also postponing shipments. Um, and now that comes back with a vengeance uh, as there's a backlog in patients, uh, elective procedures are, are stacked up. Um, now that's then also maybe a nice bridge to talk about uh, the consumables. Uh, we have seen a very nice uptick uh, in the course of Q1. Um, and you can really track uh, how COVID gets under control. Uh, in the United States, March was, March was very strong on elective procedures. Um, and um, we, we, of course, compare not only to 2020, but also to 2019. Right? And on, uh, on, the, on the consumption of our catheters, uh, we are well ahead of 2019 on a run rate basis. Right? And that bodes for a very nice growth step up over 2019 in IGT devices. Right? So make a long story short, um, good start in, in diagnosis and treatment, strong order book, strong order intake. Um, uh, we are looking at uh, uh, momentum there in Q2. Of course, the second half of the year, the comparison already becomes a little bit more difficult, but still overall growth ahead of the 5 to 6% uh, on, on, on revenue. Then um, in, uh, let me do a similar, albeit a, sh a slightly shorter story around personal health. Um, if we are honest, and of course 2020 was not a great year for personal health, even though the second half year was much stronger than the first half year. So we have a, having a very positive comparison uh, year on year, 17% uh, uh, growth in Q1. We are also looking at a very strong growth in Q2, while the second half of the year uh, will, be, uh, will be much more uh, moderated given the year-on-year -year comparison. Um, the, the driver of growth, um, from a geographical uh, perspective, uh, we see uh, China uh, double-digit. We see uh, Europe performing very strong, uh, amazingly strong. Um, North America uh, in the high single digit. So, you know, strength across the globe as consumers rally to buy our new innovations in oral care, in personal care, in beauty. Uh, so, um, good traction there. As you know, that we have also stepped up A&P advertising and promotion because in a digital world that becomes more important. And at the same time, we have, we have taken cost out of what is called other fixed selling expenses. So you could say we have changed the mix of uh, sell-ex to, to, to drive more consumer preference. And we think that that is working. Um, and it bodes well for the future. So um, I think that gives you color on, on, on revenue. And uh, maybe in the meantime, I can look to Abhijit yeah, sure. for uh, the, your EPS uh, question. Yeah, so, um, hi, Veronica. If you look uh, at last year, we estimate uh, that DA had probably about 24 cents uh, contribution to our EPS. If you look uh, for this year, uh, with our now uh, increased sales guidance, we will compensate most of that. Uh, maybe about 17, 18 cents of that will get compensated with the growth of the company itself and the adjusted EBITDA growth. Uh, important to understand that uh, we will have a lower share count, so we will uh, complete the buyback this year, so that will also add to uh, the EPS. And then finally, 
I guided for a lower uh, tax rate this year that also contributes positively. So with this, we will actually be able to offset uh, the dilution of um, EPS with uh, last year. And then, of course, we have uh, Biotel and uh, Capsule, which are uh, doing well, and they will probably even result in slight incremental uh, EPS this year for the group compared to last year. So last year, if I include DA, and this year, if I exclude DA, our EPS will still uh, go up. And then if you, let's say, look forward, of course, that will go up in the range that we have guided for improved earnings, as well as slightly lower restructuring costs. So uh, I think on a good trajectory there. All right. Well, did, this, this, did, did this answer your question, Veronica? Yeah, that was very helpful. Thanks, guys. All right. The next question comes from Hassan Alawakil from Barclays. Please state your question. Thank you. Uh, I have a, a couple, please. So, so firstly, on the, on the DreamStation 1, uh, could, could you talk about some of the issues that have been reported by users and, and whether any of uh, these have been significant? Uh, and what does the current provision account for as it relates to the 3 to 4 million installed base? Uh, and whether, whether you expect any short-term impact on sales uh, because of these issues. Uh, and then if I can ask a second question uh, on the broader performance of, of the sleep business, where are diagnosis rates relative to pre-COVID levels uh, and do you think you're gaining share here? Thank you. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Hassan. Um, the, um, the, the, the issue with the DreamStation one family and related products come out of our post-market surveillance where we have picked up um, reports um, from users um, that uh, lead us to do uh, this warning. And the occurrence rate is very, very low. And um, in the last year got accelerated because uh, of what we have discovered the use of unauthorized detergents in cleaning the machine. Uh, in the U.S., there's quite a lot of locations that have started to use ozone to disinfect the machine, and in fact, that has an impact on the uh, foam um, used uh, in the machine, uh, which makes it degrade. Um, globally, we have seen some occurrence of th that phenomena in high humidity, high temperature environments. Uh, as I said, the occurrence rate is very, very low, 0.03% of the top of my head. Nevertheless, you know, being responsible and proactive, um, we don't want to uh, uh, have this happen, and we are going to repair the machines in the field uh, for which we have taken the provision. Now, the installed base is very high, given that Philips is the market leader in sleep apnea CPAP devices. And um, there's uh, several millions out there, a couple of millions out there, and yeah, that relates then to the magnitude of the provision. Um, I hope that that scopes that a bit. Um, it is early stage because we wanted to go out immediately, and we, we are also in parallel then engaging the regulatory agencies with whom we have to detail out the uh, field safety notice uh, as is customary practice. I want to emphasize this is coming out of our own post-market surveillance 
actions. Now then, um, you ask, you know, does it have impact on, on sales? Um, the good thing is, is that we have launched uh, DreamStations 2. That product is also already authorized in the United States and is, is of a different design uh, and, um, and is uh, not affected by this component. Um, other countries, that product is not yet um, authorized and therefore we were still manufacturing and shipping uh, the Dream Series 1. Um, we have, out of precautionary measures, uh, put a temporary stop to the production of those units. And therefore, in relation to your question, can it impact sales on the short term? Yes, it can uh, on a limited basis because of, in the United States, which is our biggest market and the majority of the demand, we have, an, we have the Dream Series 2 to ship. Um, we are planning to outsource most of the field action so that um, we can do it fast and that we can leverage third-party capacity, uh, thereby avoiding uh, hindrance to our own manufacturing line. Um, then on your um, uh, related question, you know, how is the sleep market developing? Um, we still see uh, uh, relatively low levels of um, uh, sleep lab visits. So consumers are not yet back to sleep labs and therefore the, the new diagnosis is still at a lower level than what it used to be. It's about 80% of pre-COVID times. Uh, we expect this to go up uh, later in the year uh, as uh, you know, normality uh, in life resumes, especially in those countries where uh, vaccination degrees are, are high. Uh, I, and then finally, um, I want to assure everybody on the call is that we will compensate for the slowness in the sleep and respiratory care business. Um, we still see good demand for uh, hospital respiration uh, and, and oxygen concentrators. Uh, and across connected care, uh, we also see strong traction on patient monitoring. So uh, this is also why we kept the guidance on connected care the same as we flagged to you before, i.e. a high single digit to low double digit uh, decline year on year, given the peak of last year. Uh, let me pause there, Hassan, and see whether uh, I've uh, captured all your questions. You have. That's very helpful. Thank you. You're welcome. The next question comes from Patrick Wood from Bank of America. Please state your question. Morning. Uh, thank you very much. I'll just ask my two up front if I can. Um, the first, I think you gave a little bit of color, but a little bit more would be great, uh, was in connected care and the patient monitoring business, just giving us a sense of how much traction we're starting to see in the general ward. And so outside of the ICU, obviously that's a long-term driver there, but I'm just curious as to what you're seeing and, and how the outlook is looking. And then as the second question, um, thank you, Franz, you, you touched on this earlier. Um, IGT devices, obviously good data out of the Illuminate trial, but, but more short term, I'm just curious, you know, if the devices were up double digit in Q1, the hardware must have been pretty weak still. Uh, can you help us understand why we've seen such a dramatic acceleration in the core diagnostic imaging business, but then on the more, you know, uh, procedure focused side of things, you know, it seems the recovery curve has been 
quite a bit slower, albeit it sounds like the order book's going better, but just help us understand why one has just leapfrogged so fast versus the other one. That'd be really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let me start with connected care and, uh, and, and patient uh, uh, monitoring. Um, yes, we, we see patient monitoring coming more and more outside of the ICU. And, and let me just also explain that most COVID wards in hospitals are not ICU wards, right? Uh, so many patients that have moderate COVID uh, never make it into, let's say, the proper ICU uh, and are in COVID wards. Um, COVID wards that we have equipped with monitoring as well as with, with ventilators. Um, we also see a general trend towards uh, remote supervision using command center technology where you can overlook or your central stations, if you like, where you can overlook cohorts of patients uh, with a, 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 a higher patient-to-staff ratio. Um, finally, we are seeing uh, hospitals standardize on an enterprise level to one uh, vendor um, as it integrates with their uh, informatics um, network. And there's a general feeling that hospital informatics are too fragmented, too much patchwork, and standardization is the name of the game. Um, and finally, hospitals and providers are gearing up for the out-of-hospital monitoring and want to leverage a uniform, strong architecture um, across their enterprise. Um, this plays very much into our hands because we are market leader um, and we are then often the party on which hospitals are standardizing, uh, and that's strengthened by our innovations in command centers and EICU, and now with the extension with Capsule, being able to integrate data from other sources and, um, and biotelemetry, expanding, monitoring outside of the hospital, the portfolio becomes pretty comprehensive for such an enterprise uh, play. Uh, so um, I think it bodes well for the future, and um, I would uh, express my uh, expectation that um, monitoring at large um, is going to grow at a higher pace versus 2019, structurally. Yeah, then your IGT question. I mentioned that, uh, the, the, uh, Sir Patrick, I mentioned that the electives are up. But that is a phenomena late in the quarter, right? So January, we were still behind 2019. February, we started to become kind of break even on 2019. Um, uh, and then in March, we soared ahead, right? That also means that IGT devices as such is not yet showing this uh, uh, massive impact on the revenue cycle of, of Q1 but it's a rather good news for Q2 and beyond. Uh, that then also suggests that the, the revenue um, in Q1 was in fact uh, supported by uh, IGT uh, systems installations, and uh, the order intake uh, in the quarter was also very much driven by IGT systems. Very clear, thanks guys. The next question comes from Michael Jung-Lee from Morgan Stanley. Please state your question. 
Thank you, and, uh, and good morning. I have, I have two questions. Uh, firstly, when it comes to the 2020 guidance upgrade, if you had a further chance to raise organic sales growth because, let's call it, pent-up demand, would you consider in the next round uh, some upside to the EBIT margin, which currently seems to be set in stone at around 60 to 80 basis points? And then um, question number two is on the Dream Station uh, 1 provision. Can you comment on what, what will physically happen on the ground? Do all sleep apnea machines have to be returned to Philips for repair and or inspection? What happens if patients need their sleep apnea machine? Will you, provide a, uh, will you provide a replacement? And thirdly, if you look at the provision, it's around 71 euros for the three and a half million machines, or if the incidence rate is 0.03%, it's a, it's a thousand fifty machines with a provision of 238,000, so it's, it's a wide range. Which, which one is it? How are you providing for this? Can you give more color on what the maths is behind this? Thank you. Right. Um, well, Michael, your, your first question is, of course, very hypothetical, uh, that if we were to further increase guidance, what would we do? So with your permission, I'm not going to speculate on that. Uh, the reason why we keep the guidance, the 60 to 80 basis point at this time, is that um, uh, you know we, we do see some higher freight costs. Uh, we see a tight semiconductor market, so the intake uh, cost. We want to be a bit careful there. Um, we don't want to get ahead of our skis here on on margin. Uh, and for now, we see this as uh, as very good underpinning, uh, and also potentially uh, with with a few mix effects. Uh, you recall, of course, that last year patient monitoring had a very strong impact on the mix. It's a very profitable uh, product. Uh, and if you now, uh, let's say, have a slightly different mix, then, um, then that has an influence. So uh, just, we, we just want to be cautious on not getting ahead of ourselves on, on margin. Um, then on uh, your further uh, inquiry on the Dream Station. So um, indeed, occurrence rate, very low. However, the intended precautionary measures will expand to the entire base of the Dream Station 1 related family, uh, whether or not symptoms are there. Right? Now, that's for, so that's the, the cautionary approach that we take. Uh, if the discussion with uh, uh, regulators lead us to a different conclusion, uh, then that can change, but at this time we think that this is the most uh, um, the best course of action. Um, we have calculated this on the basis of an expected uh, time of intervention in the field per unit times the amount of units um, and um, leveraging, as I said before, also our DMEs and others. I want to assure uh, everybody on the call that the device is safe to, to be continued to use uh, to the best of our knowledge at this time, of course, this will also be discussed with the regulator, but our own uh, expectation is, is that users can continue to use it, and then uh, as we repair the units, uh, they either get a replacement unit or they get their own unit back that still needs to be determined. So I don't want to uh, be uh, completely precise about that. Um, Michael, does that answer your question? 
It does. Maybe a brief follow-up. You mentioned that people are using ozone, which is against the FDA regulations or against the user manual. Why is it your problem then if someone wants to use a cleaning agent that is not even permitted? Why, why are you taking responsibility for that in those provisions? Um, well, patient safety is always our concern. And um, we have um, be very clear to say first comes the patient. We don't want to, to debate culpability at this time or who's done it because that doesn't help the patient, right? Um, and so if there's something to be said about, you know, what is the root cause and, and, and why did people choose a certain way of cleaning the device, yeah, then, then that can be an endless debate. At this time, that should not be the debate. We should just deal with the issue, and then later on we can sort out, you know, uh, whether uh, uh, how this uh, cleaning came about. I mean, if, if, if we look around the world, then this use of ozone is typically a U.S. issue, and then within the U.S. it is related to certain regions where certain companies have been very active in marketing that method. Um, but that's all, let's say, 2020 hindsight. Uh, the FDA uh, observed this and, and, and also put out safety notice to say, you know, don't use ozone uh, for CPAP machines, right? Um, nevertheless, we, we, are, we cannot control that, right? But uh, we don't want to focus on, on, uh, on, uh, on, on that's a culpability questions. Our prime concern is uh, let's, let's take uh, this, this small risk out of the market and deal with it proactively. Great. Thank you. Very clear. Thank you. The next question comes from Lisa Clive from Bernstein. Please state your question. Hi, thanks very much. Um, a few, uh, just two questions on patient monitoring. Um, so first of all, uh, you discussed a little bit the potential to move into the general ward. Um, number one, uh, what is the sort of technology limitation here? Is it the reliability of wireless sensors? And, and I guess sort of our sensors are wireless sensors good enough um, to be, you know, accurate enough, have connectivity that's very consistent, et cetera, um, or are we still a little bit early in that, in that stage? Um, and number two, um, you know, as those wireless sensors get better, then that opens up the home market. Um, but a question more on the sort of pricing model in the home, because obviously, you know, the actual hardware um, it would come into competition potentially with all sorts of, you know, gadgets from the likes of, uh, you know, Apple, Fitbit, et cetera. Um, so if we think about how the, the sort of value across your patient monitoring business, what proportion is today is sort of the hardware itself versus the software and the sort of broader connectivity um, uh, and, and, as this and as this market develops so there's actually more in the home, how will that look? Thanks. Yeah, hi, Lisa. Um, great questions. Um, on your first one, uh, with regards to adoption, I would actually say that technology is not a limitation at all. Right? This is all about ho hospitals having to change their ways of working. Uh, if you put monitoring in a general ward, where uh, then you also need to organize for somebody to oversee the central station, where you can look at a whole cohort of patients. Um, Patients that don't that are using a wireless device, 
uh, they can wander around. So that also means do you want to track where the patient is or not, right? And technically, all of that uh, is possible. We have solutions for that. But actually, uh, hospitals can only adopt this once they change their ways of working. Now, I mentioned earlier the, uh, that COVID has been uh, an accelerator for the use of uh, monitoring in, in general wards or COVID wards. Um, as hospitals were struggling with uh, a shortage of staff, then having monitors um, aided by a central station uh, could actually help uh, take care of more patients with less staff. Right? So I think providers have gotten a good insight and boost of how changing ways of working is actually a good thing for patients and for productivity. Um, so no, techno no, no technological limitations, Every we have everything available. Um, similarly, with the home, um, technology is there. Um, I would not jump straight to consumer devices, as you mentioned. Um, actually, the data coming out of those devices is causing doctors to despair because, you know, they get a lot of people coming in, look at my data kind of thing, uh, and um, which then bridges already to, you know, what is your operating model behind the technology so that you can actually handle large cohorts of patients with data coming in whereby AI uh, uh, in the cloud stratifies the patients as to who needs what and why uh, and direct it to the to the responsible in the care team that is appropriate to the severity of an incident, right? Because this is a whole new world of how do you organize care. Um, and that maybe is then the final bridge to, you know, um, uh, hardware, software, and services ratio, because um, the services will play an increasing role in handling remote patient monitoring, whereby the device becomes a smaller proportion of the value and the software and the services become the bigger proportion of the value. Um, I'm uh, over asked to give you a number uh, in this call, uh, unless uh, my friends here at the table can help me out quickly. Uh, but I, I don't want to guesstimate the number that I, that I take don't that really know. We take that separately, Lisa, and then in, in future call, uh, we, will, uh, we will share that with the whole community. Okay, thanks. And then one just very quick follow-up question. Um, I think I read somewhere recently that the FDA is thinking about trying to regulate these sort of consumer health-related um, devices. Are you aware of what they're thinking here? And I guess, you know, obviously the likes of Apple and Google, et cetera, have enough money that if they want to get involved in medical devices, they certainly can hire the regulatory people to do so. But what do you think are the sort of um, barriers to entry for big players like that coming into the monitoring market? Well, I mean, these devices are already regulated, right? If you put a heart rate uh, rhythm uh, monitor in a watch, or uh, um, then that's already a class two uh, device. Um, so that is regulated. Um, the, um, from my story, you also heard, you know, that people are worried about what happens with the data. How does it disrupt the healthcare market? Uh, who can have access to the data? How safe is it? Uh, so it's a, it's a new world out there that indeed deserves to be further scrutinized from a regulatory perspective. Uh, also, interoperability is a big factor. Um, and and, and what, what, what are patients taking away from the data? Because, you know, it worries them unnecessarily sometimes. Uh, 
uh, and also that is something the FDA is, is concerned about. Right? So um, I would say this is not just a technological barrier, it's much more the overall ecosystem that needs to be looked at. Great. Thanks very much for that. The next question comes from David Eddington from J.P. Morgan. Please state your question. Hey guys, thanks for the questions. Uh, so two, please. So just to follow up on the, uh, the on the field repair, the 250 million provision, uh, is that provision purely for the field repairs, or is there, is there some litigation cooked into that? Uh, and, and just to make sure, has, has there been any litigation started or any patients injured? Uh, and secondly, uh, quite a good start on the free cash flow front. Abhijit, just wonder if you give any any sort of thoughts in terms of free cash flow for the year, please. Sure, um, David. Let me um, say that the amount is related to the field action. Um, I've already flagged that any slowness in the business near term is absorbed within uh, the business and compensated elsewhere and therefore uh, not expected to further impact. Um, this is very early stage, so um, we are acting on the fact that we got a few reports out of the field out of our post-market surveillance and our own test. Um, we are taking proactive action here, uh, even though the earlier question around ozone and that's not us, that's somebody else, uh, doesn't matter, we are taking proactive action. There are no litigations here at this time. Uh, moreover, I can say that uh, we have not seen reports of severe user harm. Right? We have seen uh, some reports of irritation, but not severe patient harm. And uh, moreover, it's still, to our knowledge, safe to use the machines um, in, in, while we are going about preparing and executing on this field action. Then uh, maybe, um, Abhijit? Yeah, on the, on the cash flow, yeah, I think it's a good start to the year. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, our working capital uh, management has been better uh, in general, our uh, Overdue receivables have come down quite substantially, so that's a that's a good operating result. Our net income uh, or our profit uh, increase for the year was also good. We were helped a little bit uh, also by the calendars, so that will be a bit uh, lower in Q2. But I think overall for the year, we are in line with uh, what we had guided for. It will be a tad lower. Uh, depending on how much is the cash out for uh, the repair actions that we have to take on the dream station issue. But for the rest, uh, I think we are glad with the way we have started the year. Great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. The next question comes from Scott Bardo from Bernberg. Please state your question. Yeah, thanks very much for taking the questions, uh, too, please. Uh, the first one just on the uh, the field action and, and provision again. Um, I just wonder, uh, Franz, if you kindly confirm that the issues detected were not informed by any uh, FDA inspection warning letter or 483 form. And furthermore, is it your working assumption that you know those sorts of warnings or observations at manufacturing plants will not unfold as a result of this? Uh, the second question, please, just relates to uh, oral care. Um, 
and I note that you had a, a, around a mid-single-digit growth this quarter. I would have thought that that business would have performed better given that the rest of the business has been rebounding. The comp was, I think, high single-digit negative last year, and you're in quite a meaningful product launch cycle. So I wonder if you can confirm, um, you know, is there any softness in, in the end market demand or anything we should be aware of for that particular business? Thanks. Yeah. Hi, Scott. Um I can confirm that the, uh, the field action uh, originate out of the user reports and tests that we did ourselves uh, and that there is no uh, regulatory uh, origin in that. Um, the Pittsburgh or the Murraysville, but Murraysville is close to Pittsburgh, is where the business unit is and the factory is, has a good record um, with regards to prior inspections. Um, and other than that, uh, I cannot anticipate, you know, what, what will be uh, future discussions. Um, but I feel that we are taking appropriate and uh, proactive action uh, fully in line with our quality management system. And Abhijit will answer the second question. Yeah, I think um, overall oral healthcare demand uh, was good. China recovery, as we had said uh, last time, for oral healthcare will start from Q2. So actually, we will uh, we are gearing up for a much stronger Q2 in oral healthcare. But for the rest of the world, it was strong. So it was uh, more the China recovery and the launches in China have taken place at the fag end of Q1. So from Q2 onwards, you will see a better momentum, uh, Scott. That's very helpful, thanks. And if I, if I can, just one quick non-related follow-up, um, uh, also for Abhijit, please. Um, and again, congratulations on the disposal of domestic appliances. I think previously, Abhijit, you'd highlighted uh, um, an expectation of some ongoing royalties as a result of this separation. Now that you've concluded the deal, can you just highlight how um, those royalties will flow through, what sort of magnitude one should expect? Thank you. Yeah, uh, typically we cannot disclose separate royalty agreements with uh, each of our uh, uh, partners. So, uh, but I think the way you should look at it is for this year uh, we will compensate for the standard cost, and then from uh, next year it will be a bit of a add-on, but it's a part, let's say, of the overall guidance. So, I think that's how you should look at it for now. Okay, thanks very much indeed. Thank you. The next question comes from Julian Joma from XNBNB Paribas. Please state your question. Hi, good morning, Trump. Good morning, Abhijit. Thanks for squeezing me in. I'm left with two questions. Uh, the first one relates on the uh, relates to the order book, uh, which was up 11% in, in BNT overall. Uh, you mentioned strong double-digit growth in IGT, so I was just wondering whether you could be uh, shed more light on the on the actual growth in the order intake for, for imaging specifically, and that's obviously in the context of uh, maybe some slowdown that we saw in CapEx spending from, from listed hospital groups in the U.S. and also all the discussions around stimulus money for, for Europe. So just curious to get uh, more, more color on that side, please. Uh, and the second question is, uh, it relates to M&A. Uh, once you get the cash for, for the A, uh, the leverage will be back to a relatively low level. So uh, how should you think about your appetite for, for more deals uh, in the short term, or, or are you happy first in the next few months to, to digest the, the recent acquisitions and the, um, and the divestment from the A? Yeah, hi, Julio. 
Um, let me unpack a bit uh, the diagnosis and treatment uh, order book. Um, of course, last year we already saw strong traction on computed tomography in, domestic, in diagnostic imaging, right? So the compare for um, precision diagnosis is a bit tougher than the compare for IGT, okay? So um, the 11% is uh, a strong double digit for IGT, um, driven by, uh, first of all, um, North America, um, then Europe and China more or less ex-equo, also with mid-single-digit uh, growth. And um, uh, then precision diagnosis, um, given that last year we saw a lot of computer tomography orders, this year um, uh, the, the kind of uh, mid to high single-digit uh, order growth uh, in PD is driven first of all by China, um, and then by basically Europe and other markets. Uh, notably, North America is still quite modest on uh, precision diagnosis, also because last year we saw there's quite some good performance. Um, then, um, yeah, Nabajit just gives me two data points that order growth last year on CT and uh, general X-ray uh, was over 30%, right? So that just gives a little bit of color on that difficult compare uh, with only MRI being soft uh, last year. And now if you look at the mix, MRI is actually the star together with cardiovascular ultrasound, again, which is very logical because with the resumption of elective procedures, the interest to spend money on cardiovascular equipment is back, which is uh, also a positive. So um, I think that explains um, the, the nature of the order book. Um, so I'm happy to see that China is really performing well um, with all the discussions, of course, always about local competition. You know, Philips is holding its ground very well. And then uh, the DA cash. Oh, yeah, let me let, the, let me not <laughs> uh, 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 go over that. Um, look, um, you could, of course, argue that much of the cash we have just spent on biotelemetry and capsule, uh, but you kindly reminded us about, you know, the balance sheet uh, and, and the state of it, which will be great. Um, uh, let's, let's just say that it puts us in, in, a, in, a, in a comfortable position uh, with the ability to do a further bolt-on. We don't have to because Abhijit went uh, to great lengths to, to discuss, you know, our organic growth opportunity, right? uh, our normal guidance for next year, 5 to 6% across the board in all, all segments. Moreover, on top of that, you get the contribution of biotelemetry and capsule, which are both growing above the average of Philips, right? so that's also good news. Um, we are not in a hurry to, to spend our cash. We are quite comfortable to keep the balance sheet uh, then uh, for a while um, with a, a leverage uh, in the guided range. Right, thank you very much. You're welcome. The next question comes from Falco Frederick from Deutsche Bank. Please state your question. Thank you very much. Two quick questions, please. 
Um, firstly, on this ongoing semiconductor supply shortage, um, could you share some color on how this could impact your business throughout the year and to what extent that is baked into the guidance you, you gave us today? And then secondly, out of interest uh, with regard to connected care, um, what are you still seeing in terms of demand for hospital ventilators, um, especially in light of these rising hospital admissions again in, in several countries across the world? Yeah, hi, Falco. Um, the, uh, the, the semiconductor market is certainly a concern to us. Um, we, we, we have near-term demand well organized Yet we are seeing, of course, an increase of revenue. Therefore, we are increasing our own plans and put more requirements on the semi-industry uh, in terms of supplies. Um, so far, we have been abling to able to handle that well, with, with the exception of defibrillators, where we saw already some tightness in Q1 and in Q2. Uh, other than that, for now, we are navigating this uh, 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 scarcity situation. Um, and we hope that we can continue to do that. Um, we are not baking in big constraints uh, going forward. Um, then on um, the vent demand, um, of course, last year we had, we had the peak. Um, we're still seeing pockets of demand across the world, and we are doing whatever we can to help with those critical care uh, requirements. For example, in India, uh, where um, we have been able to uh, alleviate some of the most pressing needs, both for ventilators as well as for oxygen concentrators, uh, where even with Abhijit's personal intervention, you know, uh, several flights out of the U.S. Uh, with cargo uh, take uh, uh, over 10,000 uh, concentrators into India to help remediate the most pressing uh, shortages over there. Right. Um, nevertheless, if you add it all up, then uh, hospital ventilation this year is much lower than last year, right? and that's, that's just math, math cannot be avoided. Um, for monitors, we were, you heard us with a much more positive story because we expect demand for monitoring uh, to go wider and, uh, and even outside of the home, and therefore it's, a, it's much more a trend, whereas uh, ventilation was more of a, uh, a one-time peak. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. The next question comes from Sajid Osner from HSBC. Please state your question. Hi, um, thanks very much for taking my question and questions, and thanks for um, um, yeah, the, all the information. Um, just one question. Uh, given that most of the product and savings programs have delivered um, a lot of results since 2017, and given uh, the tightness in the market, not only the semiconductor uh, market, but also a lot of the supplier tightnesses that we've seen recently, how much further scope do you see uh, for further productivity gains within 2021 and beyond? Yeah, Sesky, uh, let me first welcome you to this call. Um, great to have you as uh, analyst for HSBC into uh, in following Philips, so I really appreciate that. Uh, Abhijit, is this first question something for you? 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we guided for 2 billion uh, up to 2024, uh, 2025, sorry. Uh, so uh, at this stage, uh, we continue to track to that program. Uh, typically, we have uh, done a little bit more, but uh, I think that is part part for the course over the next five years. But at this point in time, uh, we we report on net productivity, right? So we therefore whatever price increases come, we have to offset that. So we will not increase that uh, guidance, but we constantly work to look at bigger opportunities to to compensate for newer headwinds that come up, like the ones you mentioned. But right now we want to deliver on the two billion program that we had set out last year. All right, and uh, just as a small follow up. Um, can you uh, comment or like guide about uh, the increased R&D expenses that we've seen this quarter? I mean, should we assume a correction in the rest of the year and what, what kind of a trajectory? I think the R&D increase in the quarter may have to do with uh, the uh, impairment that we have taken. Uh, so let us come back to you. There is no significant increase in the overall R&D spent for the year. So maybe I will give mm -hmm. you the, the adjusted number for the restructuring and then we should be okay. We are on a good trajectory there. All right. Thanks very much. The next question comes from Daniel Wendorf from Commerce Bank. Please state your question. Yes, good morning, and thanks for taking my questions. Um, the first one is a follow-up, really, on uh, diagnostic imaging. Um, how would you see the underlying market develop there at the moment, excluding the uh, corona-related effects, the positives you highlighted from last year and, and also from this year? So the, really the underlying market development would be of interest to me. And then a, a more bigger-picture question, um, if you look at your, your product offering now, inpatient monitoring, outpatient, inpatient, um, including uh, all the software-related products you have on offer there, how do you see the competitive environment develop? Um, I would assume that this is rather limited uh, in, in the most important regions of the world. Any more color you could provide uh, would be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, hi, Daniel. Um, uh, diagnostic uh, imaging um, market globally, um, we would classify as, as low to mid-single digit, uh, with more strength in China and low single digit in, uh, in mature markets like US and Europe. Um, installed base is pretty old, um, so there is a need for renewal. Um, regardless actually of the CAPEX situations. Um, hospitals have been postponing this for a while and uh, there's real need to, to make step ups. Um, we, China's strength relates also to government interventions with, uh, towards um, diagnostic centers. Um, with the influx of monetary support in in the Biden administration and in Europe towards hospitals, we can actually expect some acceleration in the, uh, in the DI market space with, with, with more room for CAPEX than maybe was previously assumed. Right? So I see uh, a slight positive trend um, emerging, 
uh, even though on on the question of um, I think it was Julian had to give more color on the order book I think I said that uh, on diagnostic imaging the US was still the lowest of all the regions right but um, I see a general trend that is uh, moving in in a, in, a, in a positive direction uh, and we'll see we'll certainly update you again in uh, in Q2 and July uh, if that trend is continuing for now as you know we have updated our growth guidance for Philips and much of that is also driven by diagnosis and treatment and therefore by uh, DI also yeah on the patient monitoring um, offering um, we pride ourselves in being the market leader and having also the widest uh, approach uh, and a platform approach whereby we think it's all about the data and and, and processing the data um, and turning that into actionable insights as opposed to just offering a box right? and um, I think we have taken some distance from competition in that context I don't claim that we are the only one but um, the more complex these systems become in fact the better it is for us right so we we, we take a, a solutions approach to monitoring We've also started to offer monitoring as a service, uh, thereby um, uh, moving away from a kind of a discrete capex and call for tender situation towards a more continuous upgrading approach to hospitals. Uh, time will tell uh, how fast that goes, but the initial reception is very positive. Thank you. Yeah. Due to time, the last question is a follow-up from Michael Zhongli from Morgan Stanley. Please state your question. Uh, thank you for this. Um, I have a question on ultrasound. Um, if there was a sizable ultrasound business up for sale, would you be interested to uh, further expand your market-leading business? And does your current market share actually allow this? Thank you. Yeah, I love hypothetical questions, Michael. <laughs> um, as you know, our uh, our our uh, strength foremost is in cardiovascular ultrasound, and um, there we are number one. Um, in other areas, such as uh, general or, or point of care ultrasound, we are uh, much lower. Um, so. If opportunities would arise, potentially we would look at it, uh, but we do have to worry around kind of antitrust approval, so it is not would not be a slam dunk. Okay, great, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, um, back to you, Leandro. Oh, thank you. I think that concludes the, the, the call. That was the last question. Okay, well, I appreciate very much everybody dialing in. Uh, we are slated for uh, a, a good future uh, with increasing momentum. makes us very happy, and uh, we'll keep you posted as we go. Thanks. This concludes the Royal Phillips First Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call on Monday, April 26, 2021. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.